Do you feel like you're stuck in the job doldrums? We all know work can be better. If you believe there's a better way to work, join us in the global work forward movement now. Welcome to the Work Forward Podcast. Welcome to Working Forward, a Work Forward podcast. We all know that work can be better, right? Work Forward is not a company. We are a movement and a community of people who are from all different walks of life, who believe the same principles, that we can do better when it comes to work. Our daily routines are obvious, right? It are painful, the unproductive meetings that we may sit in and needless obstacles that prevent us from getting our day-to-day work done, which is why we have formed Work Forward and why we have this podcast. I'm Natalie Bourne. I'm an innovation facilitator for Territory Global, and I'm joined with three other Work Forward members of our community. Hey, I'm Zach Roberts. I'm a senior producer over at Invisible Thread. My career is focused on keeping teams organized and on track. So I'm here to help advance the idea of working smarter and better together. I'm Jake. I'm the design lead at Think It Done. I'm a designer and a facilitator. And I'm in the room because I believe change is hard, but it's important. And I think it happens on purpose. So I want to see how I can empower other people to make work better. And I'm Jeremy, a facilitator, a strategist, and a designer at Territory. I love the idea of empowering people to take control of their own work experiences in ways that help both them and the businesses that they work for. And I'm in the room because I so believe in the idea of removing workplace fear. And as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about that very idea right now. As a matter of fact, when I heard this story, I truly could not believe that it was real. Jake? <laughs> well, actually me too, but I, I I got to live it. So I do want to tell you guys a story, something that happened last year. But So back in 2020, right when COVID was really hitting the US and we went into our first lockdown, we're all trying to figure out what that's going to look like. I reached out to some friends who I used to gather with back in person to play games back when that was a thing. And during a call with one particular friend, we were kind of catching up about what's going on and asked, talking about quarantine life. And I said, so how's work going? How's, how's moving remote? And I remember his countenance changing. He got real serious all of a sudden. And he said, oh, it's awful, dude. And I was surprised because he was one of those people that really liked his job. And I was like, well, well what's going on? When he started to explain it, he said his bosses had implemented a policy that at the start of the day, 8 a.m. on the dot, he had to log into a group call via Zoom where his bosses were waiting and he had to leave the Zoom up and his webcam on for the entirety of the day. Wow. So his manager could make sure he was at his desk. He even said he had to ask permission to use the restroom or to refill his water bottle. He would have to message someone in case they look up and see he's not at his chair. They can see at least why he's not there. <laughs> That's it's insane. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, I did not expect to hear anything like that. So I just kind of sat there dazed for a minute, but I've been thinking about that a little bit. And especially in light of what happened last year, and what seems to kind of be continuing a little bit this year, I think is his leaders believed that their culture and productivity really depended almost entirely upon in-person work. And the thought of their workers being remote and having the ability to watch Netflix or step away for a workout made them feel afraid. And ultimately, I think that's a pretty common fear, I would imagine, that a lot of companies are worried about remote work. 
But that fear of productivity that caused a knee-jerk reaction that, again, was totally justifiable. But the fear that set in and, and the behavior that they took as a result of that fear of loss of productivity was really terrible for their employees. So, Okay, you know, let me ask a question, Jake. Yeah. Like, If you're watching other people all day, how are you getting your work done as the manager? Like, That's the first question that's coming to my mind. Like, If yeah. you're having to watch all your employees on a video, how are you getting your work done? If you're having to respond to whether or not they can go to the bathroom, like, how are you getting your job done as a manager? I'm so confused. <laughs> I can't fathom. I would imagine that there was a lot less actual monitoring than there was the illusion of monitoring, but it was the illusion that created the bad vibes. And actually, Natalie, the irony of the situation is after a few months, my friend and a handful of people on his team quit. Wow. They, they left. And he's happily employed somewhere that doesn't babysit him on Zoom now. So crazy. Yeah. And, and so anyway, the reason I, I really tell you that story, I think workplace fear is often justified. I think especially during extraordinary times when we're all being challenged in new ways, but while it's often justified, I don't think it should ever be welcome. Yeah. What do you guys think? You know, I was thinking about this company I worked at when I was in college and I had actually left a company that gave me a lot of autonomy and I was running some processes and things like that while a college student. And then I went to a company where they did exactly that. They let me know that if I went to the bathroom, I had to clock out and then clock back in. If I went to my car, if I ate lunch, I remember they had Thanksgiving party and I didn't get invited to the party because I wasn't allowed to clock out for a party that was happening 20 feet away from my desk. And just feeling demoralized by coming to work every day. I mean, there were days where I didn't know if I could drive myself there. And I think if we were to step back and look at that culture, I think all of us can probably relate to times where we've been in a culture like that and how it just really shaped the way we think about work in general. And it's not always a good thing when we've gone through an experience like that. I think it's always also interesting that just very often when we think about remote work, we think about the, the kind of the privilege of being able to work from home. But I, we also forget that we are at least for a little while, inviting our, our employers into our personal spaces in some form or another. And for me, the thing about this that feels the most egregious, the nastiest, is this idea that you're going to monitor me, you're going to sort of create a police state in my home office. And that feels like a deep invasion into who I am and what I'm about. And I think, you know, there it's one thing to say, we got to track whether you're being productive or not, because it's important for us to succeed as, a, as an organization. That, that's a yeah perfectly reasonable place to be. Yeah. It's another thing to say, sit in your chair, your chair, the chair that you purchased with your own money in the house that you pay for, the apartment that you pay rent for, and turn your camera on and we're going to watch and make sure. And the idea of someone giving you permission to go use your own bathroom just feels insane to me. And I guess what I find so interesting, and I think maybe this is a, a thing that is important for Work Forward, this idea of what Work Forward is, is that it just feels like no one in management in that company ever thought about what that might feel like. And I think, Jake, you said that's a knee-jerk reaction. I think that's probably exactly what it is. It, that, that's, it's a muscle movement more than it's a, a brain <laughs> movement. <laughs> and just, just a few minutes of thinking about what it, what it means to create a police state in someone's own house might have, help them change their minds, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's incredibly invasive. <laughs> I mean, it seems like this company, they tried to translate the work environment, the office environment, 
to the home environment one-to-one. You know, they at, in the office, they have the luxury of looking over their shoulder and seeing the person's in their chair or seeing that they're, you know, taking a longer lunch, whatever it is, and they want to translate that to home, but it, it doesn't translate. You know, it's being on a Zoom call is, is not like being in a meeting in, pre, in, in person. You know, it's a performance. Mm-hmm. So to be on the entire day is, you're, you're totally right, Jeremy. They did not think this through of how that would affect the psyche and the just the, the mental state of all the employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I think about some of the work forward principles and why we even want to be a part of the work forward community, I think about the idea that like work is human. So I think when we think about our employees as leaders, it's thinking, am I treating someone in a human way? Like, am I treating the way I'm about to treat this person? What I'm about to say to this person would I want my boss to treat me this way? Would I want them to say that to me? And I think that the golden rule is so important in these things of just saying, okay, I'm about to say this, or I'm about to do this. What's human? What's kind? And I think sometimes we've moved away from that because we're so outcomes driven and we're so results driven. And sometimes we think the means justifies what we do and, you know, kind of the ends justifies the means. And I would disagree wholeheartedly. And I think we're moving towards cultures where people won't stay at companies, especially in a gig economy, where they're mistreated when they can go out and have six different jobs and have autonomy and they can work on different projects. And so I think we have to really think about what does it mean to create an environment where people can thrive, not be stifled. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Natalie. And Another sort of a, a, to add to that idea, what makes organizations successful is the, is the power of their people. It's people acting in that human way in ways that are that are meaningful and and useful and and that produce good for the world. Whether that's just pure profit or whether that's profit plus some actual real good for the for, for the culture around them. And when you create a space of fear, you're crushing the human in that moment. And I think in the process of trying to enforce productivity, you're actually probably destroying it. And, you know, I think it can be difficult. Some, not all jobs require the same kind of empowering. So, I mean, let's, let's be honest that, you know, if, if I'm mowing lawns as a kid for a living, for example, you know, just earning some, some extra scraps so I can go buy myself a, you know, a, a burger with my friends that, you know, that that's an important thing. I mean, people need their lawns mowed and it's good for me to be learning how to work, but you know, that job is, I'm just pushing a lawnmower, right? And not to say anything bad about people who push lawnmowers for a living, that's actually a wonderful thing to do. But that's different than if you're working for the for the World Health Organization and, and making you know plans that are going to affect multiple countries in the world. So it's you know I, I'm making a mistake. I'm not saying that people should be free to do whatever they want. They need to they need to work right and work well. And productivity matters, and finishing the work that you've been given matters. But there have to be ways to let people sort of blossom into their fullest selves as they do the work that they do. And when they do that, uh, amazing things happen, right? And so that, that's part of when I had that story. I mean, I, it's funny, but it also is incredibly disappointing because that's people, those are real live humans who are just not living up to their fullest potential. Yeah. And what could they be doing with that with that energy? It's my question. <laughs> right. Right. That's a so great question. Where my mind goes next, Ray, I think about this idea of emotional hijacking, something it happens at a large scale for an organization. A lot of times, like you think about last year, COVID hits, fear takes hold. And that's like one giant community hijack. Everybody panics. And how you respond to that moment really matters, especially for leaders. So what I've been thinking a lot about 
is when you feel that come on, that hijack, the fear starts to take hold. What do you do? What's the next step? I think it's a challenge. And I think it depends on the individual. I think it depends on your circumstance. But what I would say is that I think awareness that you are experiencing fear and for leaders and even non-leaders, just employees, are you creating or instigating or stoking fear? Yeah. And you're told that COVID obviously changed everything for a lot of different industries. And, you know, not every company went about it the right way and not every company went about, you know, the wrong way. It's just, we, we who knew what we were getting into? So Nobody. hopefully, hopefully, you know, like that company that your friend worked at, for example, hopefully companies like that were able to adapt and learn because it does seem like a lot of industries are going to be remote moving forward and there's potential to continue bad practices like that. And, you know, I guess the positive vibes coming from the leaders in companies like that, that are able to set the standard of how to work remotely and how to treat employees in this new environment is going to be really important moving forward, especially for those industries. So let's make this practical for our listeners. If you're a leader, how should you be thinking about the story? I mean, because that's a very demonstrative story, right? The one that Jake told is like, whoa, it's obvious how ridiculous that is. I hope it is anyway. But if you lead people, I would take it down to, you know, what's the smaller level of how workplace fear might thread into your day-to-day? So what do you guys think? Like, what would you tell a leader as they're thinking about, do I do that? Is this me? For me, I think there are a couple of things. One of them is good leadership is iterative, is thoughtful and communicative, right? So you make a decision like that. People are, you're going to make mistakes that this will happen. This COVID was new. And for a lot of organizations that have never done any kind of remote work, they're walking into a new space and trying to figure out how to stay productive and successful. And I think those leaders are for very good reason in that moment, living as much in fear as we are. Are we going to make it through this? What does that mean for me and my family? But if you, if you keep lines of communication open and you're attentive and you think iteratively, you say, we tried that, it didn't work, what should we do instead? I think that makes a huge difference. The second thing that I, that I think is important is leaders, as you work your way up in terms of responsibility, I, a thing that I learned a long time ago is that leaders, the real difference between leaders and, and line employees is that leaders have a, a broader and a longer view that your job is to look both left and right further and also forward further. So you need to take a long view of what the, of what the work is. And I think just taking a moment to say, what will this decision make across the long term? Not, not tomorrow, not for the next week, but for the next year for my employees. Am I going to lose them? Am I going to lose the, the, their capacity? I think it would make a huge difference for those leaders. Yeah. That's so good. I want to say something real quick. So Jeremy, when you were talking, I saw what we do all the time as consultants, probably most of us, is that empathy map, like actually thinking through, okay, make this decision. How are they going to think about it? How are they going to feel about it? How is it going to affect their work? And what's going to be the end result of that? You know, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, I love the idea of an empathy map. I tend to be a little more blunt myself, and I like really trying to find some personal responsibility in situations like this. And so my thought for leaders would be to recognize that it is on you to figure this out now. Yeah. If you don't, your talent will suffer. Of course, your employees have a hand as well, but really take full responsibility. And then the other thought that I, I that came to mind, look for anger in your work. Are you feeling angry? Is there anger and tension in, in conflict in what you're talking about? There's a, a quote I've always lived by. It's something my mom always used to say, which is that anger is fear making a fist. 
And so usually there's fear kind of fueling that fiery anger that you might bring with you to work. And so maybe if you're seeing tension, you're butting heads or you're feeling angry at situations, pause to that point of an empathy map and think about what fears are lying behind that and fueling that. And how can you work to purge those? Because ultimately that's going to reflect on your employees. And we focused a lot on leaders, but as an employee, it's the same process. Are you butting heads? Are you mad at your work? Are you frustrated? When I talked to my friend, it was just anger. Yeah, I got 8 a.m. I got to turn the thing on and he's going to watch me work all freaking day. And I know it's annoying, but there's also underneath that, there's this just fear. What is happening? Like you said, there's an invader in my house. There's danger outside my house. I'm working at home all of a sudden. It's not fun. Yeah. So Zach, what would you say for employees? Somebody that they're in the situation, there's workplace fear. Is there an opportunity to have a dialogue or do they just need to pull the ripcord and get out of there? Yeah, well, I'd hope so. I'd hope there is an opportunity to have that dialogue, you know, and going back to something you said earlier, Natalie, which is this the thought of the golden rule, something we learn as kids. I would hope that at this point, you know, a year or so into COVID or more even, leaders have learned to treat employees the way they would want to be treated. And if that's not the case, then it's going to be a lot harder for an employee to have that conversation. If the leader isn't looking at the employee as, you know, someone who is just like them, same environment, want to be, you know, treated properly and everything like that, it's going to be tough for the employee to do that. So it's tough. I don't know. I guess it depends on the industry you're in, but if, if an employee is able to have that conversation and feel comfortable with that, it's kind of uncharted territory right now, right? Mm-hmm. It, that's a unique conversation to have, especially in this environment. I don't think it's necessarily worth you know, just hopping out, quitting right up. I think it's worth at least putting up a fight, trying to make some changes because Mm -hmm. odds are, if you're feeling that way, there's other employees around you that are feeling the same. Yeah. Yeah. Could I put a twist on that golden rule real quick? I was, I was thinking maybe another way of looking at it too, would be to treat others the way they want to be treated, not just the way you would want to be treated. That might be really helpful in this type of situation because there are differences to what Jeremy said between the lens that a leader is looking at this type of change and the way that a non-leader is looking at it. And so instead of looking at, let's push them the way I would want to be pushed in this situation because the pressures are different. Maybe it's about, well, what are my employees going to experience and how do they need to be pushed? I love that because that requires you to have a relationship with your employees. It requires you to understand how they're made in terms of you know what makes them tick, what yeah. gets them excited. What may be freeing for one person could be shackles for another. And so it requires us to have these like really good conversations with our employees where we actually know them. So, oh my gosh, like what a concept, right? <laughs> like I have to have conversations. I have to know what matters to them. I have to see them as human. That's great. Yeah. Well, guys, any final thoughts for our listeners on the topic of workplace fear? I think I'm good. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for now, guys. Thank you for listening to our very first ever Work Forward podcast. So if you want to learn more about working forward, we would love for you to stay connected with us. One of the ways you can do that is follow us on Instagram or Facebook at we work forward, or head over to our website to learn more about work forward at workforward.co. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining our work forward community. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, follow us on LinkedIn, and visit us at workforward.co. All right. So you had a disgusting question to ask, didn't you? I haven't asked this question that I'm very hesitant to share, but I'd want to ask the room here, mm-hmm. uh, what is the most disturbing or gross thing you've done for money? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hold on. Hold on. I feel like you're asking that because you have a story. I do. And I, 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 so now he's reluctant to share it because we're going to have nothing. This is a trap. <laughs> it is. I'm going to tell you the story and then I'm hoping that somebody can, can do better. Okay. Yeah. Because to be honest, this is one of a catalog of stories from my childhood. Okay, so let's go back to when I was uh, probably about 14. So not terribly young, you know, but, you know, I I should have known better in this situation. (laughs) 14, I was working as a counselor at the boys, uh, a counselor in training at the Boys and Girls Club. And I was dared to lick the buttons on a vending machine. (laughs) And... I said, no. And they said, how about $5? And I said, okay. Because with those $5, I knew that I could buy a lot of warm cookies because we had this little like Otis Spunkmeyer cookie thing. I know that's how, that was my <laughs> currency. My, my, everything to me was just cookies at that time. Okay. okay so I'm sorry. Like, so you, you did it. You licked the vending machine. I did. I licked every button on the, that, that was the deal. I had to lick every button. So, you know, like the, the individual numbers and then especially the one that was like enter, which you know that that's the most touched one. And it was crusty. Oh, no. There was a layer on it and it was. No, so- you got to charge by the button, man. I charged. You're right, that, that was your mistake, unfortunately. It was so gross. It was so gross. I think I was gagging the entire time, but I, I, I got through it. I immediately bought my cookies. And as I was eating my three cookies that I purchased, I forgot about it. So I didn't really care. I mean, there was clearly lasting trauma and damage done to yeah. me. Um, I literally can't think of anything that gross that I've ever done. Yeah. I think the closest I ever came is my brother agreed to call me. And I, I should have seen this coming. I was only eight or nine. He agreed to call me Peter Parker for the rest of my life. Spider-Man, <laughs> by the way. If I would eat some dog food. We were in the basement. Just, you know, chicken flavor. How many morsels? How many morsels? There was three. The, the deal was three pieces of dog food to call me Peter Parker. And I, my older brother's a backstabbing loser. And he called me Jake <laughs> immediately after I ate, ate the dog food. Well, that's quite the commitment for him to have completely changed your name in his mind. That, that, See, that. you know, and I never trusted him again. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, what's the grossest thing you've I've got nothing. I, I, I don't, I was a, the kind of little kid that didn't do gross things because they were gross. I don't feel righteous about that, to be honest. It's, I, I was kind of a nerdy, dorky little kid that got stuff in lockers. So, you know, I was mostly just trying to survive. I didn't have this sort of emotional freedom that Zach apparently had, which is a testament <laughs> to his parents. That he was the kind of kid. <laughs> that would lick every button on a, by the way, I hope everyone heard boys and girls club, vending <laughs> machine, which means a lot about what was actually on the vending machines. That, that's that's so many sticky place. hands. Yeah. Sticky yeah. Kid hands, man. Yeah. I turned out fine. Look at me now. <laughs> it, it does. It, the, the thing, Zach, is it doesn't feel at all out of character for you to have done that. To yeah. Me. It just feels like you might even do that now if I offered you, it'd have to be maybe $50, right, maybe $500. Right. <laughs> 500. I mean, uh, well, and COVID would, would make it, a, it have to be a little more than that. Natalie, what's the grossest thing you've done? 
like I, as I'm listening to these stories, I'm like Jeremy, like I personally was just trying to survive childhood, stay out of the radar, stay under the radar. Why would I have ever licked a vending machine for attention? Like that's what's going through my head. Like (laughs) the childhood wrong. No, no, you weren't paying attention to the story. It wasn't for attention. It was for cookies. There was a cause. I just got to put it up for Zach here. It was all for, he did it all for the cookies. Was it all for cookies or was it a little bit for attention? It was for as much, it was for street cred. As far as street cred goes in Scottsdale, sure. Arizona, I wanted that street cred. <laughs> but I also wanted those cookies. He's still known <laughs> as the button looker to this date. Actually, <laughs> I have a different right. legacy there. I don't know how much time we have, but I, I, I've done a lot of worse. Okay. Well, let's end here. <laughs> All right. So we're out of here for real. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.